Let me begin with a question for you to think about. How important is leadership? You start thinking about how important is leadership? How important is leadership in your business? How important is leadership, maybe if you're a school teacher, how important is leadership uh, on a football team? How important is leadership across uh, whatever realm of life you're involved in? You think about it. I mean, how important is a rudder on a ship? You've got to have the rudder in order to steer and set the direction where the ship's going. How important is the steering wheel on your car? Of course, that's becoming less important as we have self-driving cars. I still want the steering wheel in front of me in case I need to grab it. How important is the quarterback on the football team? The pilot on a passenger jet? You think about life, there's always somewhere where somebody has to guide it, has to direct it, has to lead it, has to put it in some kind of direction. And it's important. Not only is it important, it's, it's vital. It's essential that there are avenues of leadership in, in our lives. We, we all want leadership in our home. You've got to have leadership. Mom and dad leading in the home. You've got to have leadership in life. I, I think the young Marine understood leadership. He was uh, re-enlisting for another tour of duty. As he was doing so, a public affairs officer asked him why he was returning to the Marines, and the young man explained and said, Sir, there's no one in charge on the outside. The young Marine understood when I was inside, there was someone telling me, here's your next order, here's where we're going, here's what we're doing. Now I get outside, and now there's no one directing me on my steps of life. We can't live effectively and productively in life without leadership. And there's something in all of us that actually cry out for leadership. Most of us desire to serve or be led by somebody and say, hey, tell me kind of what's, what's next. One of the darkest times in history is recorded in the Old Testament when it was said that everyone did what was right in their own eyes in the book of Judges. That's a scary time. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Would you like to return to that kind of society? We're kind of going down that path. Everyone just wants to do what's right in, in their eyes. Leadership matters. And it's especially true to the local church. Extremely important. The spiritual leaders in a local church are essential because they set the tone for the entire church. And no church or no organization will ever rise above its leaders. And so the leadership of a local church is highly important. And that's why church leaders need to lead godly lives. Lives that are above reproach before the church and before the world. And Paul addresses this highest levels of leaders within our local church. He actually did it earlier in our chapters. And he comes back around, he's nearing out this letter, this playbook. He comes back again and says, let's talk about leadership a little bit more. Why is he talking about it at the beginning and at the end? My assumption is he knows if there's not good leadership in the church, the church will be ineffective. The church will not be all that it's supposed to be. And so Paul comes back and says, I want to hit this one more time. Look at, my te look at the text with me, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. 
Do not be hasty in a laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Paul gives us some great wisdom in here, church, that we need to heed, that we need to hold on to, that we need to keep as a foundation of the body of center point. One is he begins with some wisdom about financial matters. He says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well. The King James Version says, let the elders that, that rule well. Now, we've got to remember, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that elders are, are overseers. They're not overlords. So important. They, they are directors. They're, they're not to be dictators. Um, they, they are servants and shepherds. They're not slave masters. So when you think about an elder... They, they come alongside to caretake, to pastor the flock, to take care of the flock. And those who direct the affairs of the church well, it says, are worthy of double honor. That's going to be an honor that God's going to bestow upon those when he says, you served my church well. You took care of my church family. And he's proud of those who step into those kind of roles. Now, we've got to understand something, because in our world today, we tend to think that everything should operate like a democracy because we're in America. And i got to tell you, church, the church is not a democracy governed by a majority of votes and a monthly business meeting. It's the most ineffective way to actually run a church. The church is a theocracy led by God through a plurality of godly men who God establishes to say, you're now leaders in my church, you're elders. And it's such a, such a dividing line, such a, a thing that is opposite of our culture. And that's why it's so important. We just went through a few months ago where we instilled some new elders in this church who are coming alongside to help serve and to help lead as this church uh, grows and expands to have a few more leaders who are caring and guiding and directing this church. In the book of Hebrews, the writer at the very end was addressing some issues as he is wrapping up his, his uh, book. And he says this about leaders. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago that Paul stood up and said, hey, you follow me as I follow Christ. Pretty bold statement. The writer of Hebrews says, listen, you remember the word that your leaders taught you and you imitate. In other words, you look at their lives. There's some living examples of how you should walk with Jesus. And he goes on and says in verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So in other words, what he's saying is, you be willing to be a follower. Be willing to be led. He's saying, you don't be a pain in their side. Make it a joy by being a, a church person, a person who's in the kingdom. Make it a joy to be, to be a follower. Make it a joy for that. In verse 17, Paul singles out a specific group of elders. He says, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching whose work. In other words, they've dedicated their lives to it. So he'd be talking specifically to, to me as the preacher. He's like, hey, as, as the one who's preaching and teaching, he'd be talking more specifically to, to like Elaine who's preaching and teaching amongst the teenagers and the kids. He'd be like, hey, this is what I want you to do. And he said, especially those who labor and work in the doctorate because preaching is hard work. And I don't realize exactly why it's hard work all the time, but I know every Sunday afternoon I go home and I'm flat out exhausted. And I didn't know this. There was a study done several years ago by a team of doctors 
who determined that the delivery of one 30-minute sermon was equivalent to an eight-hour weekday. It's true. It's, some doctor said that. It's got to be important. It's, it's got to be true. I'm, I'm taking it as truth because I, I sense it and I feel it. <clears throat> and some of you are like, Brian, you don't ever do 30 minutes. We get 30 minutes, we'd be praising God. So it's even, mine's more like a 10-hour workday. And I mean, no wonder I go home on Sunday afternoons after preaching two sermons and I'm exhausted and I turn on a game and I'm out, sleeping. Ask my kids, they'll be like, yeah, we don't bother dad on the couch. It's exhausting. Now, I've had the privilege of serving three different churches over 25 years of ministry. For the last 15 years, it's been right here as the pastor and preacher here at Centerpoint. And I must say, I have been extremely blessed in 25 years of ministry. I mean, it has, been, it has been mostly a joy. There are a few who have been the thorn in the side, so to speak. We can talk afterward. It's been a joy being in ministry from seven years in youth ministry, three years as associate minister, and then the last 15 years preaching. I have felt very encouraged and supported in this text being lived out in the churches I've been able to serve. And verse 18 says those who, just remind that those who serve the Lord in full-time leadership ministry are worthy of ample and adequate financial support. Sometimes people will ask, Brian, why do we pay our preachers? Why do we pay staff members? Well, right here's one of the texts we say to do that. When someone dedicates their life to it, then it's okay that we, we take care of their lives and we pay them a, a fair wage. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 25.4, it would be actually unfair and cruel thing to muzzle, a mock, to muzzle the mouth of an ox and not let him share in some of the benefits of his labor. And he's like, hey, this person's laboring, so let them share in some of those benefits. In Luke chapter 10, it says that the, the worker is worthy of his wages. And those who labor in the things of the Lord are worthy of financial support. And so we see it as a need and something that is valuable to do in this church. I've had the privilege to serve as pastor, people who believe their pastors should be cared for. Some of you don't know this, but when we opened up this facility in 2010, 10-10-10, my family was planning to take a trip to Disney World that year, and we put it off because of this building getting open. And this church came along, and instead of us paying for it, they said, you're going to Disney, but we're treating you to it. This church is kind and, and giving and, and gracious. Church, we can never lose that. We can never lose that. I am so thankful that, that we have that in this church. And whether I'm your pastor or move on down the road one day and you have somebody new, you bless the pastors in this church. You bless the elders who serve as volunteers. There are some elders who are putting in a lot of extra time, a note of encouragement, a text that says I care, a, a thank you. This is Thanksgiving week. You think about who the elders in this church, you think about those, and let me extend it a little bit further, those who are open their homes to be growth group leaders. You extend that. Those who are serving over here in the preschool ministry, in the children's ministry, in the elementary ministry, and those who are pastoring your teenagers, your junior hires, and your high schoolers, and they're pouring their life into these kids, you take the time to extend grace and thankfulness to them. Remember we were talking about the church being a family? This is how the family gets built up when we work together, and sometimes just a little breath of fresh air. It's not about dollars, it's about encouragement. And sometimes just a little encouragement just keeps you going. And so that's what he's talking about in this passage. Ron Rose, the founder and president of Faith and Families Ministry, says, according to Church Resource Ministries, located in Southern California, at any given time, there are at least 62,000 churches in America looking for a preacher, and that number is growing each year. 
62,000. Let me just say, if you're without a job, go to Bible college. Get trained up. There's probably a position open somewhere. I say that facetiously. 1,500 ministers a month drop out of the ministry, and every year nearly 6,000 Southern Baptist pastors leave the ministry. It's, it's an epidemic that's happened in our society. George Barna says leading the church on a day-to-day basis can be overwhelming. One of the studies discovered that the typical pastor is expected to juggle about 16 major activities during the course of a week and excel at all of them. One local pastor said, we feel like we're supposed to be spiritual supermen, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound and make everyone happy and holy. Truth is, we can't jump higher than anyone else. The ministry is, is a challenge, and Paul understood that. And so he's telling Timothy, Timothy, here's how you train your people, because you're, you're going to have hard times. And obviously, Timothy was dealing with some hard, difficult people. Otherwise, this would not have been written. And so he's saying, Timothy, I'm going to put this in writing so that they can hear it, not necessarily from you, but when you read the Scripture aloud, they're going to catch it. And so Paul's like, give double honor to those elders who, who serve and who, who direct the church and, and take care of the church. And church, I just want to encourage you, keep doing that. Don't ever let that get away. I pray that one day the testimony of Centerpoint when this church is 20 years old and 25 years old and 50 years old and any pastor ever comes through here and anybody who serves here says, you know what, it was a blessing to serve that congregation. It was a church that blessed people who served. Secondly, Paul addresses some spiritual matters. Verses 19 and 20 says, kind of when we become Christians, you know, we submit ourselves to a different standards in the world. We, we march to a beat of a different drummer. We're called to live a holy life that's just separate and that's distinct from the world in which we live. The Bible is clear that sin is not supposed to be tolerated in the life of a believer and that sin is supposed to be confronted and it's supposed to be confessed and we're supposed to do away with our sin and take care of it and allow it to be removed and there are numerous passages that deal with that in the life of the believer but in 1 Timothy 5 it is probably the most definitive passage in the Bible that shows us how to deal with sin in the life of a leader. And trust me, we see it happening all the time. You hear the stories on the news, maybe you know somebody, and it can happen at any time. And if we think, oh, that's never going to happen to me, that's when we're really going to be in trouble. Leaders are called to a higher standard than anyone else in the body of the Christ. And so I want to encourage you to understand that when you step into a role of leadership around here, we're going to hold you a little bit to a higher accountability of where your walk is in Christ. The greater the responsibility, the greater the accountability. And that's absolutely fair and it's absolutely biblical. And so you step into the role of, I want to be an elder in this church, I want to be a leader in this church, I want to serve in this ministry, then we're also looking for holiness in your life. Not, perf- not perfection. Not perfection, but holiness. When God places you in a position of spiritual leadership, he also places upon you the responsibility of keeping your life pure and clean before him before you serve, before the church that you serve, and before the world. The world needs examples of people who are in spiritual leadership that are doing it the right way. Verse 19, he's talking about not receiving a charge against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. I read that and went, man, what is going on? Why would he even bring that in? You have to ask the question. You know, I was talking to somebody this week, and they're like, I'm struggling to study the Bible. If you can learn to ask the question why of Scripture, you will start to un- uh, release Scripture into your mind. Because when you're reading, you say, well, why was that written? And I asked that question, why was that written? It had to be written because people were making accusations against some of the leaders that were causing strife and disunity within the church. 
And they had to figure out, are the accusations real or, or are they not real? And so Paul says, listen, you've got to uh, have a safeguarding a- around the spiritual leaders of your church. It's a statement given for protection of those who are in spiritual leadership. The very fact that a person is in a high-profile pro- leadership role and they start serving in a church and sometimes that then grows a little bit more means that not only will there be praise that comes your way that's probably not exactly accurate, it also opens you up to unusual criticism that is unfounded or not accurate. And so Paul's telling Timothy, listen, this kind of stuff's going to happen. How are you going to handle it? Paul says you are never to entertain an accusation against an elder if it can't be substantiated as fact. So if someone comes to you and says, hey, you know that uh, brother John over here, you know, he's been doing so-and-so and so-and-so. How do you know that's a fact? What are you going to do with that? Are you going to hold that information? Are you going to go talk to somebody else and start the rumor mill and the gossip mill and get that spreading around? Because that's how it gets started, and it, and, it, and it starts to grow, and it starts to take off. And so Paul's saying, here's how you handle taking care of malicious attacks, things that are of gossip, and, and let's remove these things. You know, the greatest spreader of gossip is named they. They. And I will just tell you, and I know I have irked some of you in this church, if you come to me and say, Brian, you know, they are upset, I first will ask you, tell me who the they is. And if you look at me and say, well, I can't tell you names, I say, and our conversation's done. Because that's how you stop gossip. And that's what he's talking about here. Listen, they cannot be dealt with. And so if someone comes to you and says, you know, uh, you know, Tim, Elder Tim, oh, Elder Jerry, oh, oh, Brian, oh, oh, Lane, you know, they, they, they think this. You need to stop people in their track. And you are responsible, just as I am, to stop the gossip in the rumor mill. And you need to ask three questions. Who told you this? And they say, well, I can't tell. Then this conversation is done. And you need to be done spreading this. Who told you this? Did they confront the person? They come to you and say, oh, man, you know, this is what I heard about Tim. Oh, yeah, well, who told you that? Well, Sally told me that about Tim. Okay, did Sally go and confront Tim? Well, I don't know. That's the next question you ask. Did she go and deal with it? Did she go and confront him and ask him about it? And then thirdly, if they don't want to deal with those first two questions, you say, why on earth would you think I want to hear something like this? In other words, why are you bringing the rumor mill to me? And we got to squash it. And that's what he's dealing with. He's saying, listen, you stop this, the, the, these rumor mills because people are bringing false accusations. And he says, here's how you know to deal with it. You better get two or three witnesses that says this is true. Now, I personally know of good, godly servants in Christ who have been maliciously victimized in ministry because of false accusations. And that's exactly what Paul is dealing with here. He's saying you cannot have false accusations in the church and you cannot destroy God's good kingdom workers with false accusations. And we will not allow it at Center Point Christian Church. We won't. We're going to follow the text. And so I say this, here's the good thing. We're dealing with this text while things are very happy and things are great, as far as I know. 
But that's when we need to be taught. You be taught before we enter into the situation. So when the situation comes, we go, ah, I know how to deal with it. Now, in most cases, the sole reason was jealousy on part of the gossiper. Many times people get, get jealous, and so they start a little bit of rumor mill. And a lie can get a halfway around the world before the truth can get its shoes on. It just takes off. So first, I want to encourage you, church, protect the leader. And then second, pursue facts. Are there other witnesses? Not people who've been told by someone else, who's been told by someone else, who's been told by someone else. Eyewitnesses who personally know, you know what? Elder so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, they're involved in sin. If that's the case and it's true, then that person needs help. They need love. They need care. They need us to come alongside of them. And so he talks about how you do that. Those who are dealing with a habitual sin, as verse 20 was he's talking about, it's not the one-time mistake, they're not the one-time trip, I'm not the one-time falling, but someone who is in the leadership of the church but is dealing with a habitual sin and ignoring God's word. If you see that in one of our leaders' lives, by all means, then let's, let's help that leader grow. Let's help that leader pursue righteousness no matter is ever to be exposed, though beyond the circle that it, that's impacting. No offending leader is to be rebuked before the entire congregation unless it affects the entire congregation, but must be rebuked for the other leaders. He's what he's saying. Why? Because you want to warn the other leaders, listen, this is not allowed. This is not part of God's kingdom. So he says, you sit down with the other leaders, and then you rebuke the sin. And each sin ought to be dealt with. Serve as warnings of the leaders. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. A big warning to us that when we think, I got it all together, I I'm immune to sin, I'm so holy and so strong, look out. Look out. Because we got to be on guard because the evil one comes to kill, steal, and destroyed. And we must be careful because pride comes before the fall. Verse 21 is just talking about how these are serious matters. And he's like, we can't cut special deals. We can't make exceptions for people just because, you know, that's so-and-so who's been in a church forever and ever and ever. And they've been leading forever and ever and ever. No, if it's sin, we got to deal with it. Got to get all the facts. We deal with it biblically. We deal with it carefully. And we deal with it lovingly. And Galatians 6.1 says that you who are spiritual... That eliminates a lot of folks right there. You who are spiritual, restore, which is kind of like to set a broken bone, do it gently and slowly and carefully and tenderly and delicately. And that's how we'll practice it in this church. If that comes in this, in this church, we're going to practice it that way in love and kindness. We are to restore and reconcile others, not to wreck and ruin their lives, but to restore them back to God, reconciliation. Verse 22 is all about being careful in our selection of leaders. He says, don't lay hands on hastily. That's why we have a process we walk through. It takes about, it takes about nine months for someone who's pursuing a, a level of leadership, especially an eldership level around here, before you're put into that row. And, and then you also have to be serving at this church for several years before you move into that. So you don't just lay hands on hastily. The church must never cover up someone's sin because God will uncover it. He'll always uncover it. Listen, every sin that you cover, God will uncover. It, it will. That's what this passage is talking about. Every sin that you uncover, though, through confession, God will cover it with his mercy and his forgiveness. And so if you have sin in your life, uncover it. Confess it to somebody. And let God's mercy and forgiveness then take over. Number three, Paul gives him wisdom about physical matters. Physical welfare of spiritual leaders. Leaders need to take care of themselves is what he's addressing. 
He's like, listen, Timothy, you're sick. You're dealing with some stuff. There's emotional stress and strain and, and a physical toll that comes with being a spiritual leader. And some leaders put too much emphasis on their service and they neglect themselves. Let me just say, if you are in a role of leadership, whether it be in the church or it be in this world, take care of your health. Work, work at your health. Do the best you can to be healthy because you're not going to be effective if you're not healthy. And when he's talking about use a little bit of wine, Paul's not encouraging drinking. He's recommending, recommending the medicinal benefits of wine over water that, of Timothy's day. He's like, so you have a little bit of wine to help out here with this medical situation. See, both oil and wine were used for medicinal purposes in the Bible. And evidently, Timothy had same, some kind of stomach problems that plagued many church leaders. I know pastors that are, that are so unhealthy and so torn up that they throw up before they come up to preach. That's not healthy. Not healthy at all. And so he's saying you take care of yourself. And I think it applies to all of us, no matter where we're at in life, that we take care of our health. He's like, you take care of yourselves, especially if you want to be effective in God's kingdom. And then he talks about eternal matters. He's like, you can't hide from sin. Verse 24 and 25, is, oh, you cannot hide. Some people are immediately found out. Others think they've got it covered up. I've got that taken care of. But what you sow, you will also reap. Better deal with your sin, confess it, and repent of it. He's like, you can't hide from it. Verse 25 is like, listen, not only will your sin find you out, but your good will find you out. And sometimes people want recognition. They want to toot their own horn. He's like, don't get caught up in that self-promotion stuff. Your horn will get tooted when it's needed, but also it'll be, your good will be found out. People will start to recognize it. People will see it. And not only that, Paul's telling Timothy, listen, God sees it. And we serve with the audience of one. So whether you're serving in the nursery changing diapers, whether you're serving with the toddlers teaching them the basics of just Jesus loves me, whether you're back in the elementary kids starting to teach the, a little bit more important facts of the gospel, whether you're walking through the teenage years with the teenagers, whether you're leading a small group, whether you are opening your home, whether you're leading out in grace marriage, whether you're helping with generosity feeds, wherever it is you're serving, he's saying, listen, you do this to the audience of one. Don't do it for anybody else. And that good then, it'll be discovered. It'll be discovered, and God will honor that in a way he wants to honor it. Well, I, th I think what, in the core of what Paul's telling Timothy is that, is that no church will rise above its leaders. And so, folks, we need people who continue to grow in this church. We need people who say, you know what, I want to be a leader in this church one day. I want to help in that. Well, it starts right now where, where you're at to say, I'm pursuing God. I'm growing with God. Oh, I'm going to grow with my service. I'm going to grow with my, with, with my church. And you pursue that leader because the church needs leaders. That's why we need to make sure that we have an absolute best leadership leaders as possible because the church will not rise above where the leadership of this church is at. And church, we need to pray for them. We need to submit to leadership. We need to support them. We need to be willing to follow them. We need to make their, their job a joyful job. This is God's word to us. Remember his playbook. He's called a play. Are we going to run it? Bow your heads with me.